Oh, Brian, so I don't pull a fits. Pronounce your last name again. Bychowski. Bychowski. Yep, Bychowski. Welcome to the RC Roundtable Podcast, where we discuss the latest RC hobby news, events, model reviews, and a whole lot more. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the RC Roundtable Podcast. I'm your host today, Lee Ray, and with me is my buddy, Terry. Hello. And uh, filling in for the Fitzmeister, who's uh, who knows what. Fitz is out and about uh, doing his own thing, maybe having his own personal flotilla of fun. Uh, Brian Baikowski from Dubro. How hey there, Brian. Yay. I'm here. Lee, you said it wrong. I... <laughs> Burkowski. Baikowski. No yeah, there you go. Baikowski. <laughs> uh, I think this is all a setup. No, it's, <laughs> it's our buddy Brian. There you go. There you go. <laughs> okay. You know, I think his name is easy to pronounce. <laughs> yeah. I got now, more letters in my you got more or less letters in your whole name than I have in my last name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we have to point out Brian is not particularly interesting to talk to, but we just needed somebody with a tenor. To replace Fitz, That's so we're, you know, yeah. we're we're a little light on the low end, so Brian was our fill-in. Yeah, <laughs> I'm happy to help. Okay, but thanks. It will be a fun episode today. We're gonna we're gonna start right off the bat with some fun talk, like happy results. Uh, I think we're gonna start with Terry because we were chatting earlier about the, that funky wing that he's been building. And if you've listened to our show or seen one of our latest videos on YouTube or Facebook, you'll see this wing that Terry's been working on. So Terry, why don't you fill in our listeners and followers with what you've been doing? Well, the wing that you are referring to is the 1951 flying wing, which is a kit from retro RC. And the Genesis of that model is that back in the early 1950s uh what was the air trails magazine they had a contest for the readers to design a free flight flying wing model and this airplane was the winner of that contest and retro rc has re-released it as a laser cut kit that can be either free flight or rc obviously i did rc and uh, it's just a neat little airplane and i say little it's got a 56 inch wingspan so it's not tiny by any stretch but uh, I've shared it on here in a couple of previous episodes, and I think our live show people got to get a peek at the airframe. But I have finished it, and thanks to the people who helped contribute to the color scheme thoughts, I ended up going with the turquoise and then a kind of a pearl copper translucent, and I think it looks pretty nice. But it's finished, and I've flown it a bunch of times, and it is a nice little, I guess you would call it a slow flyer. Um, yeah, it's kind of big to be a park flyer, but it's a slow flyer for sure. But fun little airplane. I flew it some yesterday. The fifties paint scheme. Well, yeah, I was trying to be a little bit nostalgic with it, but I don't know exactly how you do that. I could have done things like covered it with silk span or powered it with an old diesel engine, but I'm, <laughs> I'm not that nostalgic. Yeah. Paint so some it, oil streaks on the back. <laughs> right. <laughs> And actually, the kit does come with options to do uh, sewn hinges. And I thought about that and then decided against it just because I was in a little bit of a rush because this is a review model. 
And so I was on a timeline to get it going and I just used the uh, CA hinges. But uh, I think in the end, uh, th those things are, are just personal for whoever's building it. I think it still looks pretty good the way it is. Yeah, we'll have a photo of it for our cover image for this podcast on our RC Roundtable website. But if you are on Facebook, you guys should head over there to our page and take a look at the uh, photos of it. It's really pretty. I, I know you said don't look at it up close, but the photos you sent me, it looks really nice. Looks like you did a good covering job. Well, thanks. I'm pleased with it. But, you know, being the person who did it, I'm intimate with all the errors and the places I had to go back and fix and all that. But, uh, yeah, uh, thanks for the compliment. I have a question, and this goes for either one of you guys. What would you consider a, a light wing loading for an RC model? Wow, you were reading my mind. I was about to ask you what the all-up weight was because I was trying to figure that out. What was the all-up weight? Well, the, <laughs> I'm going to try to get the answer by using math. <laughs> that's actually a trick question because it was originally um, a little over 12 ounces because I had it balanced for the, the CG on the plans, and I ended up shifting that CG a little bit, and it actually got lighter. So right now the flying weight is right at 11 ounces. Holy smokes. And that's on um, more than 400 square inches of wing area. What battery? It's a two cell 800. <laughs> wow. And I then a little Cobra like... Outrunner with uh, putting out 60 amps. Excuse me, 60 watts. You see those, yeah. those flames behind it, folks? <laughs> Just making sure you're paying attention. One good flight is all you get. All right. But, um, so, yeah, the power loading works out to be like 85 watts per pound, and that's pretty good. And the wing loading, I was expecting to, to wow you with the wing loading, but since you're not calibrated for it, it's uh, three point something ounces per square foot. And that's nothing. I mean, it's I, I have I can't think of any other airplanes that are that light. Slow um, stick. <laughs> maybe I'd, I'd have to do the math, but yeah, it's incredibly light wing loading, and it shows in the way it flies. Except that it's actually pretty tolerant of windy conditions, which you know usually that would be a trade off. You got a super light wing that's going to get blown around in a gust, but maybe just because there's no side area to this thing, it's just a very thin profile. The couple times I've flown it in the wind. It, didn't seem to care all that much. So please, please tell me you discus launched it. Just what? <laughs> it has a motor. Why would I do that? <laughs> well, you just give it a toss and then you bring the motor up once it's, you know, in a nice little glide. No, <laughs> I want to see, make it so. Of course. And uh, that wing loading, it doesn't need any kind of launch. You just kind of power up the motor and just let it go. And it's <laughs> you flying. sneeze and it's yeah. cold. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, well, I'm going to talk it over Brian. So, Brian, did you have any questions for the plane? Did you see the photos? No, I'm actually on the Facebook page. I'm not trying to find it. Keep looking. It's there. It's a funny picture of Terry holding it. <laughs> Doing my little uh, Toyota jump after the maiden flight. Ah, uh, got it, got it, got it. Okay. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a, a fun little airplane. And uh, I'm finishing up the article today, so, so I don't I get, know. I, I, I get the discus launch now, and I understand what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> no. Lee, when you build one, you can disc launch it, discus launch it uh, all day long. But mine is Wait, I can gonna... talk you into building or finishing plywood overcast, but I can't talk you into just gently tossing sidearm a, a flying wing. Like nope, a not this one. Nope. <laughs> well, maybe some other flying wing, but not this one. <laughs> This one's a gentler kind of wing. Well, then do it in slow motion. 
<laughs> and, and by the way, when are we going to see some video? Uh, we did shoot some video. So I'm sure I'll make a companion video for the You're review. Like my kids. The answer was when, like, time, and you just basically said, yes, we shot video. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're like my boss. <laughs> you give me jobs to do that I'm not particularly inclined to, to accomplish. So the answer to your question, whether you like it or not, is when I'm darn good and ready. So... There we go. I would have accepted that as a perfect answer. If my kids <laughs> could do that, I might chuckle and say that. You got me, kid. <laughs> Oh. But we did shoot some video. I even put the uh, the the Insta three sixty that little go camera. I put that on there yesterday and shot some onboard video. Ooh. I wasn't particularly happy with it because oh. I need to find a better location for it. But I do have some onboard video as well as ground based video. So I bet it'd be great if it was facing you while you discus launched it. <laughs> One of those camera angles was facing me while I launched it at like a sane person. Yes. <laughs> At least I didn't say discus launch plywood overcast. Yeah, right. I'd like to see you do that. <laughs> You'd have to get one of those Olympic, you know, <laughs> ball and chain tossers to do that. <laughs> yeah. the, you put the disc and discus launch as a blown disc. Yeah. So, all right. Let's move on to something else because you just brought that up so you could harass me. I, I the wing it. is finished. It has flown. I like it. Go to Retro RC and buy one. Next. Did you have anything else that you wanted to talk about? Anything else you flew that day? Um, no, actually, that is kind of unique. The last, oh, I have to take that back. The last couple times I've been to the field, the first time I only took the wing, and I had a handful of batteries for it, so I just flew it for a long time. And then yesterday, it was supposed to be a little bit calmer, so I took the wing, and I took my old Great Plains right flyer. Remember the thing that I got from the swap meet a couple years ago and fixed up? I do. Yeah, so I took that and uh, dusted it off by flying it. And actually, that one, I forgot that I can't hand launch it myself. It has to be hand launched, but I can't do it myself. Somebody else has to while I'm on the sticks. But I tried it anyway, and I kind of dorked it and broke part of the frame. But we had a field fix and got it going, and it flew fine. So, yeah, it's seen air under the wings. You know, we've talked before about if you had to get rid of every plane in your fleet that you haven't flown in the past year, well, that one's now off the list. It's been refreshed. <laughs> yeah. So that's it. What about you? I have uh, done some work in my workshop. It's been nice to get back in there finally and feel like I can make progress. I'm, it's been such a mess. And, you know, yes, this whole COVID thing has just kind of turned our lives upside down. But I was uh, finishing up the Kyosho T33. I'm not sure if I showed it in our last video that I was working on it, but got the engine, the, the ducted fan all mounted now. Did some sanding because I've put the top piece on. I want to, I just, I was toying with the idea of putting magnets on the cover of that thing in case I wanted to do maintenance. But, you know, I said to myself, it's a mega motor. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to have any problems with this thing. So Where's I went your ahead confidence? And, I, they, I, my confidence is now glued in place. <laughs> so I have uh, sealed that bad boy. I've been working on filling up all some of the holes in that styrofoam. So I did some sanding yesterday, and I'm very – I actually was just – 
odd comment, but I was very happy about doing all that because it felt like I was making progress to get that thing back in the air. And I had to keep telling myself, don't glue the tail on just so you can go fly it. <laughs> you know, I did that before, you know, and, and I was happy to fly it when it was unpainted, you know, and very unfinished. Uh, but, you know, now that I've fixed the problem, I hope, and, and I've started, you know, I did paint the tail. Uh, I, I want to get a, a good job done on that because it's, you know, who I was talking to my wife, I guess, who was just, you know, sitting in the room with me. And I was like, this is a plane I've always wanted since I was a kid. You know, it's, it's about the same age as my Kyosho Cardinal 177 came out about the same time. And Which I finally got like my... mid eighties, right? Early, yeah, late eighties, something like that. Eh, mid eight, mid late, you know, 85, yeah. 87. So I was like, you know, I, now that I got it flying, I, I had a good time. And I think I showed you the video of its uh, first flight, right? Uh, I'm sure you did. I'm also sure I don't remember it. Well, my first flight with it and, and it's very tame. And I, I was having, I had a big smile on my face. So I was like, I, I don't want to lose that. And I want to do a good job finishing it. Just uh, almost as good as the Cessna ones, <laughs> the 150, you know, I'd worked on for three years or whatever. So right. a long story short, uh, I'm working on it. I think I will have most of these fuselage uh, body work done by this weekend. We are dealing with a terrible heat wave here in Texas. I don't know if you guys have seen the map, but we have a heat index of 110 today. Oh, and I was going to uh, Space City to see some friends. They're flying warbirds out there today. Uh, the main reason is my friend Greg has some parts for Austin's plane. Uh, Austin was given, donated uh, a cub, a Hangar 9 cub. Right. I, I, God, I can't remember. I guess it's the Hangar 9 Sport Cub that came out in uh, early 2013, 2012, something like that. Um, anyway, it was beat up, crashed, and they gave Austin the parts, and they said, you know, I'm sure you, you and your dad could fix it. Well, they had found some more parts for it. <laughs> Maybe it was in a tree or something. I don't know <laughs> where they found these parts. But anyway, I, I will go pick those up today. I honestly do not think I'll be doing any flying today. I, I can't. I can't deal with 110 heat index, no. but I can sand <laughs> in my <laughs> air-conditioned workshop. So, uh, you know, uh, that's a happy note for me. I'm going to work on that, see if I can get that done. I've got a couple of little tiny jobs on the workbench that I'm going to work on. So, uh, yeah, it'll, it should be a good weekend to do some building. Is it going to be cooler tomorrow? No. And tomorrow is my youngest's birthday, so we'll be doing oh, some yeah. stuff. So, uh, but like I said, I... It's good to make progress where I feel like I think I got that motor finally. Ma By the way, the foam idea it seems to look, it looks good. <laughs> it looks better than balsa sticks, you know, slapped on with clear silicone. Talking about the <laughs> foam gasket to fit in the EDF? Yeah, to wrap the EDF motor unit. Okay. In. Yeah. So it's well, nice and strong in there. All right. Well, if it works, put my name on the patent. Okay. I'll, <laughs> I'll carve your name in my freshly sanded fuselage. <laughs> uh, so. 110 sounds horrible. I was complaining about 95 here, but it's really humid 95 here. Yeah. So I don't, I don't feel as bad now hearing that. <laughs> That's the kind of thing you just hide the whole, the whole day. You wait until the sun goes down and go outside, I bet. Well, I learned yesterday, speaking to my neighbor, that Buffalo has never broken 100 degrees, I guess, huh? since they've been recording temperatures. But it's come close. I think they've hit 98. <laughs> but right now we're... Zero. Yeah, right. Don't um, you have a storm coming up the coast right now? Oh, uh, yeah, something about a tropical storm going in. I have no idea. See, that's why I don't watch the news. Yeah. See, if I don't watch the news, I don't hear bad look, things. You look out and you see what the weather is. Blissfully yeah. ignorant, right? Yeah. Yep. But anyway, we are in the middle of a heat wave up here. We've had several days in a row of 90 plus degree temperatures. So 
Mm-hmm. Oh, it's not 110, but relatively speaking, it's uh, pretty bad. There's a lot of people up here who don't have AC, whether central or window units or whatever. So, oh God, it's hard to imagine. Well, yeah. you don't want to know what my electricity bill is right now. So. Holy smokes! <laughs> uh, well, before you leave the T33, you know we've in the past year, I guess several years, we have collectively been restoring a lot of old models that would have originally had brush motors and NICADs and all that. I think it would be so cool if we could set up a switch on our transmitters that would be like the retro switch. You flip that switch and it automatically goes back to the old power levels. And I I guess you'd have to figure out the wing loading too. But instead of all the modernization and benefits of that, you take it back to compare it to how it would have been when it was new. So you're flying on, what, 100 watts? I was going to say, you lose half the power and you gain twice the volume. (laughs) (laughs) And weight. (laughs) Uh, Well, speaking of T33. You're like one of those drunk driving simulators where the the car's programmed to (laughs) to respond as if you're impaired. Yeah. Yeah, uh, (laughs) Yes, I've I've seen that. I haven't experienced it. but on the T33, uh, you know, speaking of mine, when are you going to open up your box and put yours uh, together? Uh, moving on to the next topic. <laughs> no, I don't know. It's definitely on my list. And uh, like everything, at one time it was at the top of the list and then something new and shiny came along. Or in my case, something new and dusty or old and dusty. So I've got that other old Kyosho plane, the Duet, that I need to restore. And so if... Other things stop popping up. I'll get the duet, and then the T33 is next. Mark my words. <laughs> okay. Well, I will show you photos of mine flying or video. and I'll, That would I'll be great inspiration. There you go. So, Like, i got to do better than Lee. <laughs> well, depending on the temperatures, I'm not sure if I'm going to paint uh, anything else. So um, I'd like to have it done by next week, but we'll see. All right. So speaking of temperature, and this is a question that just – popped out of midair when it's hot like that do you notice any difference in flight performance <laughs> yes because uh, i can't see with all the sweat in my eyes yeah it's just you because <laughs> well, you know full, i've full scale aircraft it you know, obviously affects it quite a bit so well, yeah that's uh, that's why yeah. i ask yeah. you know i've lived uh, where there's a little bit of altitude lubbock was what 3200 feet um i never really noticed any difference there i sometimes had to reprop my planes to get the same amount of power but even that was subtle so yeah, I don't know if just the the difference in air density because of the temperature is noticeable, but well, I guess the humidity is so thick. It would have to be there. You just may not feel it as much not being in the aircraft. Yeah, that could yeah. be. I think with modern technology, you, you mentioned on it earlier with modern technology, we're putting a lot more power in our aircraft yeah. so we can compensate. But yeah, if you were flying the old scale, yeah, I'm sure it'd be different. But of course. I'm I'm looking for heat and thermals when I'm flying gliders, so it's like I miss that. I I I'd love to get back into that. In fact, uh, when Fitz and I flew his, um, and we mentioned the uh, javelin, but I had flown the hobby freight glider out there. Uh, there was oh, another guy out there. Purpose. Did you call it hobby freight on purpose? Uh, did I? I meant uh, harbor freight. Yes, I no, didn't. That's mean to. A very. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> that, was, that was good. I had coffee this morning, too. I thought I'd... <laughs> strike two. Um, <laughs> but yes, I was flying that glider, and another guy was out there. We were both catching thermals, so I was saying that was another good feeling. I, I missed uh, doing that, so I'm hoping to get my Golden Eagle up and running pretty pretty soon. 
you caught uh, thermals with that pig from yeah, Harbor Freight? I did. All right. I don't think you've shared any of that story, so we'll save that for another time. But, but I think it's safe to say you took one of the cheap toy grade planes from Harbor Freight and made it RC. After adding a lot of weight into the nose, yes. <laughs> but uh, no, there was, it wasn't it wasn't like a 15-minute flight by any means, but it was, you know, cut the power and it was able to stay at altitude. So yeah. that's a warm fuzzy if you're a glider pilot. I think, okay. the, I think the thermals would, or the uh, the heat would probably affect you more when you use that retro switch you're putting in. That's when you'd probably notice it. Exactly. <laughs> abort, so, abort. Yeah. So I will admit, uh, Terry and I have dominated the show, Brian. You've, you've only gotten a couple words in edgewise. Right. So have you have you done anything this past week or two? Any fun projects, either RC-related or otherwise? Yeah, nothing remotely close to the level you guys. I, my, I helped my son put together a, uh, an E-Flight Turbo Timber, and that's about it. And then we, we did that, and then we mm-hmm. went off on a fishing trip up uh, towards Terry's area. So that's that's been the extent of my uh, my RC lately. So we, we're, we're still looking to get that out. And um, now that we, like I said, this, it kind of this time of year gets dominated for me by, by fishing and uh and doing some work on my property up north for getting ready for uh, deer hunting season. So that's that's where I've been focusing most of my energy and my efforts. And uh, you know, we, with with COVID and all that, we were so locked down, obviously in the beginning, and so tied up with everything. And then with the the business transition, all that. No, I a lot of the projects that I, I said, yeah, this is the year I'm going to do this or I'm going to do this, hasn't happened. So I'm still think- I'm still looking for that outlet. The correct answer is, I ran the factory that makes the gear you need. Yeah, right. If I, if I do too much flying, nobody gets the parts they need to build. Yeah. <laughs> so I think some people aren't aware that Duber also makes archery and fishing gear. So your time is split between all that stuff and it interest. Is. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, we it, it's literally, I mean, it's not a third, third, third kind of situation as far as, uh, you know, time or energy. It actually comes out to be where um, the, the hobby is absolutely our biggest and you know, from, from an important standpoint, definitely most important for us. Um, but the archery and the fishing end up taking a lot more time. It seems like when something's a little smaller for you, you got to work a little harder to, to keep it growing. So we spend a lot of time uh, cultivating the fishing and the archery side of things, which have been around a long time. I think the archery is coming into its 21st or second year and can't do math quickly in my head right now. The fishing's been going since 1983. So whatever, how many years that is. Um, a long time yeah. yeah but uh the hobby we're in the 61st year uh right now wow. for dubro and uh yeah things are it's it's crazy with uh what we what we've seen and i'm sure from talking to other people in the hobby everyone's seen this there's, there's been a resurgence of people getting back into the hobby or um kind of amping it up a little bit when we were locked down for you know depending on where you're at for two months whatever it was um or more we we get we got a ton of people contacting us uh, saying, Hey, I haven't been building in 10 years or I haven't been doing it in 20 years or whatever it might be. And I'm getting back into it and I'm building this and I need this part. I need this. Or what do you think about this? And at the exact same time, we've gotten a ton of absolute newbies that, you know, they don't know a club is from a push rod. And yeah. it's been, it's been very cool. I mean, it's been difficult because, you know, I think people find Dubro and they see that we have all the parts that so they call us for the tech support and, you know, most of the time, or I shouldn't say most, but a lot of the time, it's, it's not even about our product. But they, <laughs> they're looking for information, right. looking for help. And that's, that's been great. It's, it's a challenge, of course, but it's been really great to see how many people have said, okay, I've got this downtime. I'm tired of sitting on, you know, CNN or Fox News or whatever it might be. I'm getting off the phone and I'm going into my basement. And I'm working on this and I'm getting ready because I'm going to fly this once we're, you know, back to normal. 
and it's happened a lot this year. So if, if there's one positive thing I can say about this whole situation, it's, for, it's that a lot of people are either rediscovering their hobby or getting into the hobby. Um, so, and it, it's, it's also been, it's kind of, it would be the opposite with the fishing side of things um, and the archery side of things, because in the beginning, people weren't allowed to go. A lot of our products are for like Great Lakes and for the uh, saltwater coast and things like that. And people weren't allowed to fish. So that was a tougher side of business that people were just locked down, dying to get on their boats and dying to get out fishing. They couldn't. Um, but now that's changed. And now that's kind of our resurgence of people saying, I've got this boat, I'm using it. And I'm going to go out and I'm going to spend as much time outside as I can now. So that's, that's been taken back to the lot. That's a long answer of what I've been doing with my time. Um, right. There's, there's been a lot of handholding with people who are new and a lot of, helping people gear up that are already existing into whichever hobby or sport we're part of. So it's been very good. It's been, it's been great. Um, yeah, that's good. My, I guess, uh, perception is that a lot of people have been building more so than this time a year ago. Mm-hmm. And this would traditionally be the flying season, but it was a very prolonged building season. And then for people down South who never had an actual building season, they got one. Yeah. So, yeah, I think uh, there's been kind of a, a renaissance of building, whether it's foam or balsa or whatever, just people finishing up projects that have been lingering forever. Yeah. And I know, one, the, the hard part, well, well, there's a lot of hard parts, but one of the biggest problems was the hobby shops that were not allowed to be open. Um, these people were kind of lost. They said, I want to get into it. So they buy stuff online, which is fine. But you know how that goes. They're, look, they need a mentor. They need somebody to guide them. So we saw a lot of people saying, I have this and I don't know where to start. Where, what do I do? So, you know, the internet helped with that YouTube and, you know, Google and stuff like that helped. But I, we did see that there was a lot of brand new questions coming across our desks and uh, that was cool to see. And then you, when, when they get the aha moment and then you, you know, they, a lot of people will call back and just to tell us, Hey, you know, you helped me on this and now I'm at this point. Thanks. And it, it's great to see that that, that was the one, one of the positive things of this whole thing is people forced to be, you know, taking time and focus on a specific task and seeing how many people will continue with the hobby because they had success. Yeah, that's good. That I guess it affords people the time to really focus on it and and buckle down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Brian, you are the president of Dubro, and yes. I heard a rumor that you got that job over a bet from a heated game of cornhole. Is there any truth to that rumor? <laughs> that one, uh, yeah, that one's new to me. I didn't get it that way. Oh, okay. Well, maybe you can <laughs> set the record straight. That might have been more interesting. I don't know. Um, no, mine. I, I've been at Dubro for 19 years, I think. Um, and I actually started. Ironically, you talked about the fishing and the archery division that we have. My past life was producing TV shows and producing commercials um, from the videography and the editing and all that. So I, I went to college for that. And Jim Broberg, who was the president of Dubro for 30-some years, and him and his two sisters owned it after his father started it and retired uh, back in the, I think it was late 80s, early 90s. Um, Jim hired the TV show that I worked for, uh, which was a fishing and hunting TV show, and hired us to come out and do some video and promote Dubro's fishing and archery products. So... I went to Jim's place and we, we did a whole bunch of filming. We hit it off, had a blast. Uh, I was up Northern Wisconsin with him for the weekend with him and his wife, Marie, and really had a good time. So then fast forward, I, it might've been a month later, 
the Richter Show, which the iHobby Expo, you know, used to be called the Richter Show, um, was coming up, and Jim was on the show committee. So he came back and he said, hey, you know, I want to hire you guys to do a promo video for the Richter Show. And it's just, just some, you know, fast action cuts of, you know, airplanes, cars, boats, helis, all that flying around. And uh, they were going to put on the big Jumbotron in the be- in the front of the show. Have, have you ever been to the, the Richter Show or the iHobby Show? Uh, no. Rosemont, Illinois? Yep. No. Uh, okay. When did God... It used to be the main industry show for, for many, many years. Really? Um, okay. I've heard of it, but yeah. It, How long now, has it been gone? Well, HMA, HMA is the current organization. Um, and RICTA was Radio Control Hobby Trade Association. Okay. So RICTA was the one who ran the show. And I think it, the last time that we went, now I, years start to blend together, but it might have been 10 years ago that we did it. Um, maybe, maybe less, but probably 10 years ago. And it uh it was huge i mean it was a, it was a big trade show and um it was awesome so jim hired us to the company i was with to go do some video for him and edit it together and the ironic thing was i was kind of a little artsy snob when when i was at that age and i said you know i don't want anyone in the edit suite with me when i'm editing video i'll i'll make it look good and i'll i'll get it to you and jim said no i want to be there because you don't know the hobby industry you know well enough and i want you i want to show you what i want and we kind of had a little you know, standoff, not nothing, you know, mad, mad or anything like that, but I was trying to keep my artistic integrity, you know, and uh, he said, now I'm coming in. And my boss said, yeah, he's coming in, let him in. So anyways, <laughs> he came down to the edit suite and we worked together all day and into the night and got a good video put together. And, you know, of course we hit it off again and we were having a good time. And he says, uh, he says, well, come to the show and, you know, meet up with me and, you know, I'll show you around. So I took my wife and we didn't have any kids at the time. And, I said, I don't even know if I want to go down to this thing. I'm kind of, I was busy that day. It was a Saturday or Sunday or something. She goes, no, nah. she was like, you know what? You need to go down there. And she didn't, to this day, she doesn't know why, but she's like, you know what? You just need to go down there. So we went to the show and ran in the gym and we're talking. He said, hey, he's, you know, I want to see if you want to do some work for me. I said, yeah. I said, I don't have time to do freelance work. It's, you know, no way. I just, I'm way too busy. Actually, at the time I was traveling five months out of the year, filming fishing shows and hunting shows. So I said, I don't have any extra time. Well, he, he, uh, he goes, no, I mean, I want to hire you to come work for me full time. So then, you know, after the, sh- the shock kind of wore off, I said, well, what are you talking? He said, well, when I was sitting with you editing, I saw that you work in Photoshop and you work in all these different programs that currently his wife Marie was doing and doing all the advertising and the ads for the magazines and working on the website, and, which website was pretty new back then. But mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. And he said, she wants to get out of it and I need somebody to take over all my advertising and marketing. So jumped in there came to work it was actually right after september you know the original september 11th um that happened and then i said well do you still want to hire me or what so he did came to work at dubro and i got a crash course for about a week with marie on kind of the operations there and off she went and uh yeah I, i kind of i kind of evolved where i started taking on more and more roles there uh just because that's kind of my nature. I can't sit still, as you know, with the, the noise and the, the microphone there, I can't sit still. I got to keep moving. Um, so ended up to turn into the sales and marketing director. And we ended up hiring a salesman that come in and I worked with him and get all three of our divisions uh, kind of shored up with, with that side of things. And Jim and I always would go fishing or hunting together, um, whether it be for work or for fun. And we'd have conversations as we're driving, you know, six, seven hour drives and, you know, maybe long term, if you want to, you know, maybe I'll promote you to president and I'll retire or maybe you buy the place from me or whatever it might be. 
And those were kind of, you know, somewhat pie in, the, in my mind, they were absolute serious conversations. And his, it might have been a little more pie in the sky. I'm not sure at that moment. And we finally got into some deeper conversations about three years ago. And it was just, he was ready. His sisters were ready. And we started working on a, a deal. And it literally took three years to make the sale happen. And um, we, we, we did it, obviously, this year. Uh, it, was, well, it was 2019. It was uh, New Year's Eve 2019. We, we, uh, we closed. So it's been seven months of the new situation. But one thing that he and I kind of had similar feelings, maybe even more so on my end, but the, the nostalgia that Dubro is in the industry has always been something I thought was extremely cool. Because I, mean, I worked all the trade shows for all the years and uh, gone to nurses shows, things like that. And it was, uh, you could see how important Dubro from a, a company standpoint and a product standpoint it has been in so many people's lives for you know, 60 years, you know, but really 40 plus years in, in a lot of situations. Um, and I knew Jim's dad, you know, really well, uh, depending on who he, some people call him Dewey, some call him Orv. Um, but he was a great guy, uh, passed a few years ago. And I kind of feel that I'm not family, of course, but I've, I've known the family so long and I, I consider them an extended family that it, it's important to me from of course my own my own family's financial situation it's important for me to be successful with it but from i feel like i kind of have a duty to orv and to jim and to kathy and gail as sisters to make sure that dubro continues to be what it what it always has been and that's kind of been our direction so it i think it's just with the way that jim and i met and the way that we kind of gelled together i think it uh it created a good situation here for the transition and, and he's still involved uh on, on the outside, he, he wanted to do product development for us and, you know, it, as a subcontractor and he, I'll still check in with them and kind of say, Hey, what do you think about this? Or what do you think about doing that? And, and uh, it's been, it's been really cool. It's been a exciting ride the whole 19 years. And it's, uh, I think the ride's really just getting going truthfully. Yeah. Well, speaking of excitement, I mean, taking on a business in 2020, I'm sure <laughs> it has had its ups and downs. <laughs> yeah. Specifically with the, with the, a hobby business. With the UAS situation, all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, I thought that was going to be the big bomb drop of 2020. And then, of course, you know, March 19th or 20th hits for us and we got COVID. And, you know, Jim's sister, Kathy, she was one of the former owners. She was calling. She called me a couple different times. And she goes, man, she goes, I don't know how you're doing it. She goes, I, you, you picked a hard time to jump in. She goes, her, her famous line, we keep laughing about it. If you can get through this, you can get through anything. Well, it's, <laughs> I think it's been about three or four different situations. You know, my first right. day take officially going into the office, taking over the company, we had a major power outage in the whole place. So, <laughs> you know, I wrote the joke, all the employees, Hey, what you, you didn't pay the bill already? What the heck's going on? So, you know, it's been one thing after another, which that's just business ownership in general, but I think uh, COVID and, you know, this other stuff has been a little above normal <laughs> as far as uh, stress. Yeah. Oh. Well, um, good luck to you. I, I know it's not easy, and uh, I know you're you stand on the shoulders of giants. Yeah. So no doubt. Yeah, and like you said, Dubro is just kind of a, a staple of the the hobby world. So I I can't think of many or any substitutes for a lot of the stuff you have that would suffice. So I I think you've got a, a nice foothold there to to rely on. Well, for sure. You know, it's and the fact that uh, you know Great Plains went bankrupt and went out that uh that actually was of course a blessing for us in disguise uh maybe not disguise but a blessing for us um that there was some 
some duplication there that's no longer there. So that helps us in that area. And it's just, we can focus on, instead of kind of battling that situation, we can focus on, you know, making product, making new products that are needed and, you know, desired and just focus on taking care of what the obvious needs. What are, it sounds like, like you chose the word duplication very strategically. A little bit. Yeah. Okay. All right, I'll leave it at that. I'm sorry, Lee. I didn't mean to walk on you. You and I are dancing all day today. <laughs> That's because we're both eager to talk to him. <laughs> so, Brian, like, what would be the top five hot items, or RC-related items, that uh, people are looking for from Dubro? Um, from a volume standpoint, it, we do a big volume of collars, you know, the wheel collars. Um, and it would probably be gobbled up with all the different sizes of ball links in there. Um and there's, you know, there's various screws and things like that that would probably, I mean, if we're going from a volume standpoint, it'd probably be not glamorous items that you would, you know, you would think of, but definitely collars and, and ball links. Um, you know what, and honest right now, we're, we're kind of breaking new ground in a lot of situations because as we talked about with COVID, there's new people coming in and different things like, you know, nitro wasn't that popular. We're selling a lot of nitro accessories now, like different things. Um, actually tubing probably you know fuel tubing um would be right up there and um we're doing we're selling things you know it's funny we, we buy raw materials because the hobby is not giant as we know um but there's still a lot of volume in it but we we kind of have to buy things in a non-traditional way things that maybe in a business 101 class you wouldn't do but we bought raw, raw materials because it, it, all the listeners may not realize it but we manufacture you know, literally manufacture our products or the overwhelming majority of them ourselves in Illinois. We don't import very many products at all. Um, so we do the traditional procurement of raw materials and then we go through different build stages and we have to send out for different, you know, anodizing or uh, plating and things like that. Um, but some of the things that we haven't bought maybe since 2013 or 2010 is raw materials because we had to buy so many years worth in order to get the price in a reasonable spot all of a sudden we're buying them again and we're, we're taking on a lot of new costs that we haven't had because we have so much supply of these we almost you almost forget about them mm -hmm. and that's a sign that the hobby's kind of popping back in a different direction and and new new people are taking on areas that were not very popular before because we're we're buying raw materials to make products that aren't big sellers and now they're getting to be bigger and bigger. So, um, that it, it's, it's really hard to say top five because it is evolving truthfully, but I would definitely say our, you know, collars and ballings and things like that and tubing are, uh, are right up there. Would wheels be up there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, no doubt about it. So depending on the style or the size. Yeah. We actually have some new wheels coming out this year that, uh, will be, will be good to, to even increase that line. So here's my thinking process of what you've been talking about. I'm seeing people who are stuck at home and they're doing like what Terry did with his right flyer. They're seeing planes that are very dusty, haven't been flown for a while. Mm -hmm. And they're the older type planes and they're going, okay, those wheels have been, <laughs> are flat as, <laughs> as paper now. That, that's not going to round out. So mm -hmm. they're getting wheels, they're getting fuel tubing, as you said. And so, yeah, they're, they're making minor repairs to these aircraft that have not flown for a while. And, you know, kits have come back, which is really nice. That's, you know, unfortunately, yeah. Balsa has been hauled hard to, to get a hand uh, hold of, excuse me. So I know people are going through their old stock and, and building old kits. And I know eBay's all a flutter with kits flying, you know, left and right because 
that's what people are doing at home. So I well, it's funny you said that because it's exact, when I was talking earlier about how the tech calls we get. Um, you, you can tell when you're talking to a person, you know, if what level of the hobby they're in and how long they've been involved in. And you almost can tell the same thing if you go, they're, they're going to tell you, 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 you're talking to a person and you just know that the conversation is going to go to, well, I got this thing on eBay used and I'm just missing this or it doesn't have this. And, you know, and it, there's a lot of that going on, which is great to see, you know, whatever, however they get back in the hobby or get started, it's, it's awesome. You know, and with the kit building going on, that that's something we have seen for the past few years, popping back a little more. And, uh, with guys like you know Mark Landerman over at Old School Model Works, uh, we we do a lot with him, and I think you know he's a great guy. As you guys know him, um, sure. And we actually started listing his kits on our website just because when you when you buy these kits, obviously you need a lot of Dubro parts, and we thought it was a great way to make it easier for somebody to be able to order the kit and um, all of our parts in the same spot. But um, I know he's definitely seen an influx of interest and attention on his his kids. So it, it, I think everything's good right now. I think we're, we're in, if there's a positive to come out of it, that's definitely it. Well, I'm sure Terry will agree. It would be nice if a lot of manufacturers used Dubro <laughs> for their standard parts outlets. So they'll be easy to come by in the future. Well, and that, that's something that happened a lot in the past where you would actually, we, we'd ship tens of thousands of catalogs out to different uh, kit manufacturers and they would include them in their their kits and you know a, a parts list of different Dubro items you needed, or they would buy the parts from us and include them in the kits. And there was that that period of time where everything went over to China, and they were just instead of shipping our parts over, obviously the the, the China manufacturers were just making them, you know, duplicating them and putting them in there. Um, and we've seen some of that changing back to the old way not to the level it used to be of course but there's definitely different manufacturer manufacturers that are either listing our products specifically with with part numbers as this is what you want to buy or um including certain ones with the with the kit themselves so i i think that's another benefit of all this is there's going to be more manufacturing coming back to either the u.s or european countries or whatever that are a little more friendly to deal with um, than some of the ones we have currently I'd like to imagine there's a guy who's, you know, digging out an old 80s kit, you know, and yeah. in the instruction manual is a Dubro part number with your phone number. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and you call him and there, it's like nothing ever changed. You know, I right. mean, this this kit calls for this part and you go, yeah, we got that. It's it, nothing right. has changed. The same you, number. You get that. You you get that. Well, are you still in business? Lots <laughs> <laughs> uh, of warm fuzzy. See, so you're you're kind of like Terry, you know, keeping the, the dream alive with airplanes. You know, Plywood Overcast is one of those happy fun stories. You keeping parts in the hands of people who are building or reviving old kits. It's a it's a good thing. Good job. Well, and, and yeah, I appreciate that. And it's, it's, there's a lot of um, use for these in other industries that we deal with. We call it our bulk division. Um, we'll have um, hospitals uh, like St. Jude's Children's Hospital buys parts from us all the time. Um, different uh, movie studios in Hollywood will buy stuff from us. Uh, of course, defense contractors and things like that. But we have, there's a, there's a company that uh, does really high end jump ropes. I didn't even know there was such thing as com competition, high end jump ropes, but there are, and they buy, you know, different collars and things like that. So there's a lot of unique uses for all this hobby stuff. And it's actually changed a little bit because people would go to the hobby shop always. And, you know, it was, some engineer that was working on a product would say, I know I can find something at the hobby shop that's similar. So they go in and they'd, they'd find our product and then contact us and they'd want to buy it in bulk. Um, but with the internet, it's even easier where people are saying, and not, I mean, they still should go to the hobby shop, but a lot of people that don't normally shop at a hobby shop, 
are looking for, you know, I need this widget to do this. And is there anything like that? And they come across us and then, you know, we make the parts for their, their part. So there's, there's a lot of cool things that come out of the hobby industry that most, you know, most people don't realize are there. So it's, it's definitely interesting. You learn a lot about other industries working in this industry. Yeah, as a further example of uh, how those parts are used in other places, I ran across an uh, instrument repairman's webpage one time, and he had used a whole bunch of Dubro ballings to repair a tuba. Yes, that had sticky valves. I talked to him actually. He called. Oh, me. really? <laughs> He's a different cat. <laughs> nice yeah, guy, uh, different cat. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine. And then yeah, you yeah. mentioned Hollywood, and I think uh, there's a scene in Airplane, the movie. Yeah. Where they yeah. they show the airplane coming down on the runway, and if you look close, you can see that the the wheels on their studio model are the Dubro pneumatics. That was cool. I yeah. just learned that. I think it was last year. Maybe I don't know if you showed me that or some customer showed me, but it was it was really cool. And that's one of my family's favorite movies. So we were we were just talking about it this weekend. How at the opening credits of Airplane, you can see the the Dubro wheel in there. Yeah, several of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There was. There cool. was uh, there's a lot of movies that like uh, Jim Henson um, Studios and uh, drawn a blank here. Lucasfilms, they they buy different things from us for different animatronics or uh, prototypes. Or there was a, a there's a new Star Wars movie, and I'm I'm not totally up on all the Star Wars stuff, so it may have already come out. Careful, yeah, least sensitive about this topic. Uh, supposedly, there was a bunch of Yodas that they were making. Um, either for small Yodas, I don't know if it's a baby Yoda thing or not, but there was something and and the Lucas Studios was contacting us for getting different parts to build these. And I don't I don't know if it actually officially happened yet or if they're still in the works, but it's always cool to know that our parts are going into stuff like that. Wow. You heard it here first. Baby yeah. Yoda's made with Dubro parts. <laughs> right. <laughs> allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's diff- all kinds of different stuff like that that you that you kinda it's cool to see our, our parts going into. So, yeah. You never That's know. All right. Well, thanks for sharing that story. I think that gives me a much better perspective on your background. Yeah. Appreciate okay. it. Okay. Lee, are you ready to talk about the thing? The thing? The thing. I'm, I'm going I'm, I'm to need a break. So we're going to have to give me a second to catch my breath. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what segue music do I pick for the next segment? The Imperial March. Okay, Terry, start the FAA sand timer. How big a timer should this be? I I don't want to go more than 10 minutes. Okay, I think that's good. All right, and your 10 minutes starts... Now, what it is, it's not an actual sand timer. I've got an anvil above my head hanging from <laughs> hanging from a cotton rope, and there's a candle under the rope. And I figure about 10 minutes from now, it's going to get all the way through, and that'll be the end of me. So, um, Before before we jump into this, um, let's give you guys some breaking news. I just received this. Um, it looks like, and I haven't got to read the whole thing yet, but it looks like Weak Signals show in Toledo is done. Like Forever? I think so. It's a online, uh, no longer feel we can produce a quality show and therefore the show has come to an end. Ouch. That's that's breaking news and that sucks. That does. I never got to go. This was going to be my year and I canceled and then, huh. Hopefully uh, something changes between now and the next one, but it looks like this is pretty official. Oh, that's a bummer. 
Did you get so that email? Yeah, I got it forwarded to me uh, from the Weak Signals Club, yeah. Yeah, you would have been, a, 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 what's it called? A, not a presenter, but a... Uh, exhibitor. Exhibitor, yes, thank you. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. 65 Bummer. years it lasted. Well, are there any left? So now there's a vacuum of trade shows for RC. Because Expo went away, Toledo's now going away. I think and it Gary wasn't our has... fault. No, right, we were still there. They were trying to blame us for the expos. Yeah. I think uh, Airage still has uh, the one out in California, is, um, RCX or those kind of things. I think there's. Oh, still okay. There. Okay. But, Man, yeah, that is, oh, that's going to travel the social media links. Yeah. All right. Well, let's keep the bad news rolling, Lee. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was thinking, do I keep this in the segment? I guess so. <laughs> I mean, you're going to talk about that being canceled. Let's talk about the FAA UAS symposium. Oh, man. Yeah. All right. We'll start off by telling, tell me, because I'm not sure what it was you attended. And so uh, I would guess other people aren't aware either. Well, I'll tell, I'll ask Brian. Brian, do you know what the FAA UAS symposium is? Well, I mean, it was, it's that group of people and manufacturers or companies that are trying to navigate. And I think this is how my perception to create the rules and who can, who can make these transmitters and who can create the, what the rules are going to be and all that kind of stuff. Is that basically what it is? It, it is. It's not, but thank you for your perception because that's what you just said is important to, for people to know. Nobody knows what the FAA UAS symposium was about. Oh, <laughs> Even the okay. FAA? Even the FAA. Because okay. I, I have literally asked four or five people, random people, uh, during the conference and after the conference to get their thoughts on it. And there seems to be a huge gamut of ideas of what it's supposed to be and what they expected it to be. And I'll tell you, just, I, I have a whole bunch of notes in front of me right now. And there's too many of them for me to make uh, a logical statement during this podcast. So I'm going to try to summarize all these in a document I'll post on our our Facebook page later. And I'm sure maybe I'll try to find a way to put it on our RC roundtable. But uh, I just happened uh, before the show started to go to Drone U's YouTube channel, Drone University, <clears throat> and caught the beginning of one of their shows where they were talking about the FAA UAS symposium and they did not have anything nice to say about it. And maybe the same reasons you won't have anything nice to say. Uh, I don't have a lot of nice things to say about it. Um, okay. I have some things just in general to say, so they're not negative per se, but the perception of the symposium being that it's called the FAA UAS symposium, at least for me, and this is where people will just laugh at me going, well, Lee, you shouldn't have thought that. But if you're going to have the words or the letters UAS, unmanned aircraft or aerial systems, in your symposium, and it doesn't just say drones, and it doesn't say commercial drones, then it should cover all UAS, and it didn't. This uh, sucker was dedicated to advanced commercial drone industries, and as the Drone University uh, video was mentioning, and I, I'm fully backing them 100% on this comment, this uh, group, kind of like the Commercial Drone Alliance, this is a group called AUVSI, which stands for Association for Unmanned Vehicle Systems International. It's listed as the world's largest nonprofit organization dedicated to the advancement of unmanned systems. Well, that's exactly what the Commercial Drone Alliance was, or still is. And it just seemed to be a conglomerate of big companies trying to push commercial drone systems out there and the FAA backing them. I attended the symposium because I'm trying to see what the FAA is doing with drones. 
Well, let's we, uh, let's oh, set the table there. You're we back received, up even further. Okay. <laughs> well, only a little bit. We received notice about this, and you registered as media under RC Roundtable. So you you got media access to all this stuff, which included some breakout groups and forums and other things like that. So you were on the inside. You weren't just watching on C-SPAN. Correct. I, the biggest benefit of being listed as media was that I didn't have to pay the huge cost to go to this virtual symposium. And that was a huge complaint by many people that I've found online about the cost of this venture. Uh, one gentleman that I've been reading a lot uh, of his articles, Patrick Egan from uh, the SAUAS News website, uh, he mentioned that the cost was crazy. He said, you know, the price is 769 normally in person, but it's $375 for online. But I'm not going to kid you. It's basically just one big commercial for these huge drone companies. Well, and that right there tells me that they weren't interested in having hobbyists involved. Exactly. You nailed it. And Patrick summed it up perfectly in his article. I hope to share these links with you guys. You know, why are we paying for something that the FA says they're using to educate the public? I mean, we're already paying them money through our drone registration, and I'm sure they're getting fees in other ways. But if they were using this symposium to educate drone pilots, then why are we paying so much for it? And of course, they're going to say, well, we had to pay the company that's hosting and so forth. But guess who what? Who's the big uh, provider of the symposium? AUVSI, this nonprofit organization. Sure, they have no venture <laughs> at all in charging people for this attend uh, thing. Uh, again, I, I want to make some coherent <laughs> comments about this because it did fluster me greatly over the two days I attended. Uh, in a nutshell, though, it was not for any recreational pilots whatsoever. There were two roundtables I did attend that focused on a program called Drone Pros, which is trying to get educators out there to educate the new pilots out there for drone use. And there was, and this is going to open a can of worms, there was a roundtable with Kevin Morris from the FAA on CBOs. And what's going to come out from the FAA on what is required to be a CBO? Well, unfortunately, his dialogue was pretty simple. Wait till the advisory comes out. I mean, and that was... Just to be clear, CBO, community-based organization. Like the AMA. Well, but do they even recognize the AMA anymore? I thought they, they didn't. Do, they, they do not because after the reauthorization, the, FA, the AMA is, co, is no longer recognized. So everybody's back to square one. But this is the part that I'm going to... I'll catch some flack for, but guys, if you're listening and you're in this hobby and you're as passionate about it as I am... Nobody's as passionate as you are, Lee. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I'll, I'll lead to another point, too. This CBO discussion should have been attended by a lot more people. And two in particular were not there in that roundtable. Rich Hansen and Josh Bixler. And I'm, I'm calling them out because, guys, if we are going to make a dent in, in trying to keep them from ruining this hobby and just focusing on multi-rotors then we've got to be present at these roundtables or these seminars. And yes, the price was ridiculous, and we wish it was for free. And I did happen to reach Tyler Dobbs, who said he was in an FAA meeting at the time. So, you know, he's unfortunately drawn away by the FAA. They were distracting him. <laughs> they, they had shiny objects in this corner of the room. So, uh, you know, maybe that was a distraction tactic. But the point was, here I am with only two other guys in this CBO roundtable. And that was it. 
It was uh, me, Vic Moss, uh, Kevin Morris, and one other person. I, I don't remember his name. But, you know, the discussion was tame, and, and we got information out there. But Kevin couldn't give me all the details about what the requirements will be because it's going to come out in a advisory. So it was more like, guess what? It's coming. But that's kind of like, guess what, guys? We're about to um, beep you in December with oh, a final can. rule. Yeah. And so, so you, guys, had a pay, you had a pay. Sorry to interrupt you. But you had a pay to be part of a something that they were going to give you no real information. Well, I would have had to pay had I gone as a participant, but I right. registered as media. And so I feel like I'm doing my duty as a podcaster here and yeah. being on the, I'm doing exactly what I'm, I was signed up to do, which is I'm presenting the material as I saw it. And for someone who of course is siding with recreational pilots, the symposium was not for us and it should have been, it should have had something for us. Now, granted, I understand the technology is moving in a direction that's away from fixed wing traditional aircraft. But if you're going to include us in the description of drones, then you need to include us in every symposium you have about drones. Otherwise separate us from that group and treat us differently. Well, does and, their lack of their lack of attention to us and that, that conversation in your, in your opinion, does that kind of show that they're going to push us out into a space that we want to be in where we're not included in that conversation? Or do you think it's just they don't care at this point? Well, you have done a great job, Brian, of segueing me into the next section. I'm about to play for you an audio file that was recorded at the uh, symposium when I asked a question to Jay Merkel with the FAA about the, well, what are they going to do for recreational pilots? So I'm going to play that clip right now. Uh, the next question comes from Lee Ray at RC Roundtable. The question is, how does the FAA plan to accommodate and promote traditional uh, visual line of sight fixed wing model aviation activities within the new drone regulations? So I can't uh, refer to anything different than what has been out for public review. Um, but in the notice of proposed rulemaking, one of the ways that we accommodate those operations is under the FAA recognized identification areas. And these are areas set up throughout the airspace specifically for aircraft that are not equipped with um, remote ID so that they can operate and we know where they're operating. So that's the main way is to set up these uh, federally or FAA recognized identification areas. You can go to the um, notice of proposed rulemaking and read all about them. It was an area that we received a number of comments, so don't be surprised if you see some changes. Okay, so when you what you heard there was me asking a question, what do they plan to do to help traditional model aviation? And Jay's answer was FRIA. That's it. I mean, he, he talked a long time, but his solution was, well, in the final rule, we're going to talk about these, you know, FAA-recognized identification areas. That's not the solution we're looking for. That's basically tucking us away off into the corner and hope that we don't raise any more ruckus. Um, right. I really. So, so we had some big concerns about how they were defining free is and their fragility. And so to me, that does not sit well at all. No, and especially I... his comment at the end, expect changes. Yeah. Ooh. Thank you, yeah. Terry. I mean, you're not going to like that. It, it's. It was, well, to me, it was, it was a blow off. I, I wish there was more activity. Now, was I expecting a better answer? Of course not. Was this the kind of answer <laughs> we thought we'd get? Um, you know, I don't know how, if I worded that properly. I, 
I would have loved to hear more like we need to keep you guys involved. You know, we need to keep traditional. It's a great stepping stone for people to get in the, you know, the stuff that we know they aren't going to admit. So the, the truth is we are being tucked away. And that was what you guys need as a wake up call. The final rule has not been written, but guys, the, as they say, the writing is on the wall and it just doesn't appear, you know, we've got a foothold. All right, so you, for anybody who doesn't know, Lee, what's the definition of a FRIA? Basically a field where you can fly without remote ID. Right. It is a dedicated spot, but it has to be identified by the FAA. It means they get to choose where it is. Right. So it's not owned by a CBO per se, but the it's a geo. We, we're not sure we were talking about what, you know, we still don't know what they're planning to do, but it's almost like a geofenced area where it's 400 feet high and round. Okay. So we're so talking. If you, had, just, if you had private property, a, a farm or something like that, or somebody that you knew at a farm, said, yeah, you can fly in my cut field. Could you create, or I know we don't know this for sure, but in your, from what you're hearing, do you think you can apply to the FAA and say, hey, I want this field to be a geofenced for you? That is a great question. And the answer is we don't know. Mm -hmm. But the way they were wording it made it sound like you had to jump through hoops to get it. Yeah, I'm sure. And I, I made several comments on the FAA. And what's my timer look like, Terry? I don't want to get you crushed by that angel. <laughs> Terry's dead. Oh, damn. <laughs> uh, the, the issue is, you know, I'd love for schools. I'd like people with private property to be able to quickly and easily uh, assign their property as free as. You know, especially if it's in uncontrolled airspace. But that was never part of the NPRM. They did not present it that way. So we don't know how hard it will be. And my guess is it's going to be very hard. And so FRIA is a statement, that, you know, a, a solution they're making up. But it might say, well, to have a FRIA, you need $10,000. You know, those little hidden secrets, you know. Oh, and by the way, your last name has to start with a T. Um, so the, the FRIA answer was not what I was looking for. I really preferred to say for, I would like them to say, we need to do a better job of making sure we do not lose those who are in the recreational hobby of model aviation. We need more voices. There, there were not enough people there who fly model airplanes. I was in a round table session with about five part 107 pilots and only one of them had flown a fixed wing aircraft. All the others were dedicated to commercial jobs. Two of them worked for the government. And so this symposium really was dedicated to those. Now, am I, I'm not, a, I'm not against the FAA having a symposium for part 107 or commercial drone systems. I have a problem though, where they use the term UAS and don't throw us in there or don't include us or don't have another symposium that's dedicated to figuring out how we can make sure recreational, recreational hobbyists are not crushed to death. Well, yeah, this seems to validate our concern all along that they're creating these regulations specifically with all of those commercial interests in mind and they're lumping us into it. And so we're, we're the baby getting thrown out with the bathwater. So if, I, if I'm going to play, play host for a second here and ask you the question, if you had a crystal ball, and I know we don't have any answers, but if you had a crystal ball, Lee, what would you say, you know, fast forward one year, two years down the road, how does the, the fixed wing um, hobby industry look after all this? The way it felt in that in those sessions, in those rooms, and hearing the FAA employees talk on their uh, symposiums, that remote ID is going to be coming down the tunnel. Well, re rethink that for somebody at, tra at a traditional club that let's assume they're going to be, there's a route 
a reasonable route to become a Freya. Whatever club you go to now becomes a Freya, and that's the place you fly most of the time. How would that be different, do you think? Okay, so if if you if the AMA gets their CBO recognition and the AMA dedicates or, or assigns all these uh, their sites to Frias, okay. So if you're a current AMA member and you only fly in an AMA field, nothing should change. But this is that add-on. But we don't know if the new requirements for future aircraft builds will require remote ID be part of the system, whether you use it or not. So that remote ID is a whole other take, but I'm just telling you, everything I heard was remote ID. RID and UTM was the buzzword all throughout the con- uh, conference. What's so, that other acronym? UTM, Unmanned uh, Tracking Management. Ah, that's a new one to me. Yeah, so that's which, how... It, which, at a, in its of itself, doesn't seem like, you know, a, a big deal until you start, you know, falling down the well of the costs and the, the hassles and all that kind of stuff. I, if if they were talking about some sort of just registration of the aircraft, it'd be fine. But I still don't know how they're going to be able to track in flight and, you know, real time, all the stuff that they, they, they seem like they want to have. Well, I mean, the cost for road ID is one, but then you have to subscribe with a USS, a, uh, unmanned service system provider or something like that. Uh, it's yeah. the company that will basically get the data from your remote ID and make it available to law enforcement or God forbid the public. So and you don't, do you, you don't, do you see any converse or hear any conversations of saying your cell phone could have an app that you say, I'm flying now I'm done flying now kind of situation. And it, in a geo tracks your physical location. It's not going to track the aircraft then, or maybe in tied in with the app is something on your aircraft that speaks to your phone. Uh, do you see something like that? Or do you think it's a totally brand new system and they're going to go, ground up instead of using existing technology that is a great question it's one i i I asked in some of my comments during the nprm there was no discussion about the app use except for people using lance and uh there's it it, it may be kitty hawk yeah uh so people that use that now but they're part 107 and they're just getting their waivers and they were also pushing the drone zone website excuse me the FAA's drone zone, where as a pilot, you log in with your FAA registration, and then you can request your flight plan, basically, and get your waiver to to do your flight. You know, So they're pushing that, but as far as app-based, no. And that's obviously a great, a, a possible great solution for recreational pilots. If we could just open up an app that I don't know how much we're going to pay, I don't want to pay a lot, but just to put a little geodome around me saying I'm flying here. So yeah. if you see a model airplane and you see a trigger that says there is a recreational pilot flying nearby, then as long as I'm not causing any concern, safety concerns to full-scale pilots or the public, I should be able to continue to fly as I have if I've just picked up a small airplane and gone to the park. Yeah, um, I teasingly mentioned in one of the symposiums that, um, you know, they were talking about the public having access to this data. And someone mentioned, well, we should have an app where people can uh, chime in if they see a drone being used for for bad that we report them. I'm like, well, we don't need another carrot app on our systems right now mm-hmm. because we should stop treating everybody as a foe until they're proven as a friendly. And uh, that's that's the big concern is false reporting. 
Um, but I mean, gosh, I think even if I were outside and and I, this has happened to me once, I was a down, I was at a downtown facility and I saw someone flying a quad. Now, in the back of my mind, I was thinking, God, I hope that part 107 pilot has his waiver. <laughs> but yeah. uh, but a standard Joe would probably say, what's that guy doing there? What's he is he taking my picture? I'm going to call the police. Right. Um, so that that there is a huge hurdle for multi-rotor pilots. So many aspects. In fact, a huge, uh, by the way, this is another one of my notes and I need to, I need to start wrapping things up. Uh, I'll put this in my dialogue. Uh, BVLOS was a huge topic. um, just in chatter with people. Uh, Beyond visual line of sight. Thank you, Terry. The, (laughs) there is a huge demand from part 107 pilots that are requesting that. And a lot of them are waiting for that to be approved through the final rule. And but we still don't know what it's going to look like. And obviously the FAA is saying, well, there's some trouble there. We got to make sure we go through safety features, you know, because now they're tacking on. We need to certify every vehicle that people are flying. Well, what's that certification process going to be? Do you have to bring it to a tra- a center? Does it have to have three days with, you know, in the freezing uh, box, uh, you know, of <laughs> a yeah. vacuum room? Or, I mean, what do you do to prove that your drone is flight worthy or safety worthy? Now it's uh, a handgun so, situation. You know, you got a waiting period before you fly your drone, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but you like, cool do, you have, period. do yeah. you have to jump through hoops, hoops? You know, it's like, we need yeah. you to go to A, take this picture, bring it back. It, who, I'm, I'm saying that, my God, it could be true. But, you know, they, they want this certification. Now, we do the same thing with commercial aircraft and they are flying over our heads and you hope that they are as safe as possible. I'd like people who are part 107 pilots who are taking that risk, especially with anything that's over 20, 30 pounds to be just as serious as, uh, as we are, you know, the FAA is with the consumer safety, but you know, it could get out of hand easily. And again, through all this conversation we've just had recreational pilots are back behind us. You know, we're still waiting to go, why are you tying our hands up? We've had a perfect safety record. And, you know, it seems like we're having we're having to jump through hoops, too, to do the thing we've been doing that's never bothered anybody. Um, Not that any of this is easy to swallow anyway, but it might be a little bit more digestible if they were at least consistent, because you don't have to look hard to find all the light sport aircraft exemptions that are not bound to any of this stuff. So you've got airplanes with people actually inside of them that aren't bound to the same rules as our little toy airplanes. You have a small amount of people who are using, you know, the, the the drones or or even fixed wing aircraft in in improper ways. And and we're trying to fix in reality, a small problem by throwing everybody into, it seems kind of like a a trend that we do nowadays is you take one problem, one facet of the problem and you, you create a much bigger, try to create a bigger solution than you need. And I think it, it, our pockets aren't as deep. We're not as important as some of the other um, parts of this conversation. And I think that's one of, that's going to be our downfall, as I'm sure you already know that. But, you know, if they're talking about privacy, um, it's ironic that you can get away with Google Street View driving around in a car and film every single thing they see in every single direction and post it out on the Internet for everyone to see. And that's OK. And if somebody's in the air, the, the, the potential of somebody getting video and putting their for photos and putting it online is, you know, demonized, which I get, I'm, I'm, I understand that, but when Google does it, it's okay. So right. that's, I know it's only one part of this whole conversation, but that is something that from a privacy standpoint, I, I just see deep pockets win in that scenario. From a safety standpoint, I'd like to know how many, literally how many actual accidents or safety violations have been recorded. Uh, it, there are the, the ones that are where uh, an aircraft can't go up in the air for a 
you know, like we've talked about in the past, you know, a, a forest fire or um, a news chopper or a flight for life or something like that because of drones in the area. Those are problems. But the I'd like to know what the actual number of successful flights without incident or safety problems compared to a safety issue are actually are. And it's impossible to get that. But that I think the number would be so small. I think this is just we're getting we're getting the shaft, truthfully. Right. Yeah, that's what we've said all along. This is a problem, and I say problem with air quotes, that few people are causing, and the FAA really should be using a scalpel to address this, but the only tools they have are chainsaws. Yeah. And so we're just getting caught up in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not sure I can end on a summary note. I just have some more little comments here. I, you know, maybe we'll touch on this again. Maybe Fitz will want to chime in. Maybe I'll have my thoughts uh, better lined up. But there were some things that I wrote down on, on my notepad while I was watching this virtually, you know, on my computer. You know, Jay mentioned, you know, while well, Jay had a keynote, he's not, he's not a very good speaker. And he, he didn't have a lot of enthusiasm. So he Jay Merkel isn't? Uh, yeah, exactly. And he's got to he, be better than Chow. Well, they're, they are separated at birth. Um, oh no, that's painful. He, I mean, for, for what he has to do and I need a little bit more energy or at least prepare his speech. Um, he had, he had had some kind of joke that he tried to make at the beginning of his speech. It wasn't very funny. Um, and it just made me sad to watch, but he, you know, during his speech though, they showed that wing commercial that, you know, I hate wing being the drone delivery where the guy's ordering a cupcake. And that was part of the presentation. And I despise that. Because that just is not, I mean, the, gosh, I, this is where I've screwed up as a journalist. The, the Swiss company that represented who had a, a wonderful keynote, who was talking about the advances that they have made with commercial drones, showed that video of a hospital delivering medicine to another hospital. And I've mentioned that before in the podcast. And I, I love that scenario. And in fact, in another roundtable, I talked with a game warden in Texas who they have tons of DJI products. And he mentioned a wonderful, happy, feel-good story where one of their uh, FLIR, FLIR, I guess they, you know, mm-hmm. that, what's what's the acronym, Terry? Help me out here. Forward-looking infrared. <laughs> well, thank you, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, where they found a, a man with dementia, you know? So, this, like, I love the search and rescue stories. I love the medical stories. But the stupid cupcake wing commercial ticks me off because I just, I don't think that's what we really need drones for. Uh, especially with delivery. But uh, one thing he kept saying was drones are here for good. But you know what? I'm supposedly a drone and I don't feel like I'm here for good. So that's my my little comment back at Jay. If you're going to make us feel like we're here for good, then make sure we're not lost in the shuffle. Wait, hold on. I need you to to clarify that. When you say here for good, you mean here forever or here to do good? It means both. Okay. But when you say you're a drone, what does that mean? Well, I'm my model airplane is considered a drone. Okay. And if I'm here for good and I'm here for good, <laughs> not bad, <laughs> then how come I don't feel that? See, I'm well, just, No, I agree with you. And I think that highlights a, a very stark difference in the opinions that we share and those of the FAA that we can show that we've been here for a long time. We can show obvious benefits of model aviation. And I think that case remains to be proven for the commercial multi-rotor world that they're so eager to push. Yeah. I, I, this is, I'm going to stop now. <laughs> I want to save my buddy, Terry, but as, as, as a funny though, as a funny joke, cause I did laugh and I made a comment in the symposium when one of the FAA representatives was showing her slideshow and it was about the drone zone. 
about are you familiar with drone zone brian no okay because if you fly a drone today you should be registered with the faa whether it's for recreational part 107 so we're talking, our, are we talking drone as any uas or are we as, drone as multi-rotor as any uas sorry brian but every airplane part you sell is yeah. a drone it's a drone part yep yeah. depending on who you're talking to some people still use drone as only the the, the multi-rotor so that's what i'm gonna clarify well, well that's that's good because that's where i'm going this was great yeah. During her presentation, she went to the drone zone page and it was a picture of a cub. Okay. <laughs> and this guy said, Why did you post a picture of an airplane for a drone seminar? Was that I guy laughed. you? No, I laughed <laughs> so hard. And then I I I typed in the comment. A lot of people other you know chimed in, but his comment was exactly the take I got from that seminar. It's like, why would you post an airplane for a drone-only seminar? And it's like, duty, their people are there clueless. They're careless, clueless, and criminal at the mm -hmm. FAA because they that's what they've done. They've screwed it up. But that goes back to the whole drone story. You know, people, I hate saying that word. And I, I would have been okay if we had a different UAS category. We could we could name it, but they have really, really screwed screwed it here. So all right, Terry, I love you. Stay alive. What else do you want to talk about? Do we need a, do we need a break? <laughs> uh, no, no. I, how long have we been going? I think we're probably close to our expiration. Yeah, may, maybe that was the the, the long podcast, and uh, you know, and I I wasn't like screaming or throwing stuff. I I've I've had time to sleep on it. <laughs> there, there, there's still time. Don't count yourself out yet. <laughs> well, I've got to I've got to write my article. Um, I, you know what? This is going to be. Uh, hopefully, I'm this a uh, little side note for you guys who've stayed through us this long. I met a gentleman by the name of Vic Moss uh, during one of the roundtables. He is the owner of Moss Photography in Colorado, but he's also an instructor for Drone U. And he has been involved in a lot of uh, Facebook pages for UAV law, legal and, and drone articles. Uh, but he's a true Part 107 pilot. And through our networking, I talked with him, and I'm going to try to interview him later this evening and maybe do a little uh, episode, what is it, 112.2? Would that be... Right? Are we on eleven twelve? Uh, sure. That okay. sounds right. One twelve. <laughs> Whatever. I'll have a special episode with Vic just to talk to him about the seminar, his thoughts, and what he does, just to get the opinions from someone who is in fact a drone pilot. And so we'll add that to the the mix. And well, as I said, educate me here. I thought Drone U was a podcast. Is there a bigger infrastructure behind the podcast? Oh, they well, it's they do the YouTube as well. So it's okay. kind of like us. They do audio and they do YouTube channel. But yes, sure. there's there's more to it. They actually have instructors that help out. So I, I I'm not highly involved with drone use, so I apologize. But I'm I'm gonna look into it because that's how you gotta learn stuff. That's how that's what journalists do. They get both sides of the story, right? So. <laughs> yeah, this was totally unbiased. <laughs> Fake so, news. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I I told it as I saw it, and I don't think anybody would disagree with me. But uh yeah, uh I will. I will say one more time, though. Disappointed in the turnout and lack of respect for the recreational hobby. Was it lack of respect or lack of awareness? Observation, awareness, uh, acknowledgement. There we go. That's the word I need. Acknowledgement. So, who who should have been there in your opinion? Should have been all of the manufacturers. Should have been the association. Should it be modelers in general, or or all of the above? Or what were you? When you say there, the turnout was low, who who should have been there? Well, okay, that it's my opinion. And being it's virtual, a lot of people probably didn't want to, also the cost, probably didn't want to be there. I think I just would have liked, a, I would have liked to see Rich and, and Josh involved in something. I wish they would have been part of that 
CBO roundtable. But in their defense, the CBO roundtable was not considered one of the events. So uh, I'm, I'm just running off the events I attended. I mean, there are several keynotes that I did. One of them was called Dude, Where's My Drone? And he started <laughs> off He started off with a story of he watching this neighbor kid fly a drone and it disappeared on him. I mean, yeah, that was a great warm, fuzzy feeling story. But it basically was covering remote ID. Um, get the most out of Drone Zone, collegiate training initiative. That's something Vic said he was interested in. Um, public perception. I watched that whole thing about how people feel about drones. And, you know, that kind of dealt with that whole story of, uh, you know, the Karen app of complaining about someone flying and, and noise pollution. That was, a, that was a big one, too, because they also mentioned about, you know, carrying humans into drone taxis. Uh, there's, let me follow this up. I'm sorry. I got to go a little bit more further, Terry. This was part one of a two part event. So this is the July, uh, session episode two, they call it will be in August. I'm also signed up for that. If they'll let me um, <laughs> cancel that, if they didn't cancel me, but I think I'm being, <laughs> I think I'm being very fair on my uh, opinion here. Uh, but someone did mention in the second edition, I don't have it pulled up here. They do. They might have something more addressed to recreational, uh, or or that aspect, uh, maybe Freya. Uh, I'll take a look. Uh, if I do, I'll I'll put it on my notes. So uh, I'm just going by with what I I did. And by the way, folks, I watched from the beginning to end of every day. Uh, so I was in those sessions. I participated fully, and um, I shouldn't have been the only one doing it. I there were no other podcasts or model aviation journalists that I saw there. Thank you for taking one for the team. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, you're right. And I hope if some of them are listening that they join next month. I'd love to to interact with others. Uh, in fact, just so you guys know, I, I earned several points. They had this little uh, award thing for, you know, commenting or joining sessions. So I got like 180 points, you know, for doing that. <laughs> I networked with maybe, you know, 18 to 20 people and like half of those with the FAA. Um, nice. Just cash in your points for a spider ring at the end. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's an invisibility ring. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Uh, all right. So enough about that, guys. Uh, thank you so much for staying. And Brian, I feel like I stepped all over you today, but thank you for no, sharing. No, it's great to be here. I was, I, I, that's the kind of information I was hoping to hear. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to reach out with us. Our email is contact at rcroundtable.com. You can go to our website at rcroundtable.com, and we're fairly active on Facebook. We're sorry if you don't use it, uh, but that's okay. We understand. Uh, but if you just go to facebook.com, look for RC Roundtable Podcast, we'll be there. You're welcome to post photos and comments and tell us funny stories and all that jazz. And uh, as always, we'd love to hang out with you guys too. So if there are events happening in your neck of the woods and you want to share them with us, we will post them. And if we can, we'll try to attend them. Speaking of events, there's one in Cuba. It's about an hour and a half south of me. It would be considered the southern tier of New York, near the Pennsylvania border. Anyway, I've never been to this particular club. Uh, I don't think I've been to the city either, but uh, the weather looks a little bit iffy. I'm going to keep an eye on it, and if I can, I'll pop down there tomorrow or Sunday. And uh, I think that's it on my radar for now, other than the stuff we've talked about before, which is the AMA's event later this month and then NEAT in September. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good, good luck with that. Well, I'm Oh, gonna... I, I forgot to mention, uh, I was chatting with our buddy Joe Vermillion of Balsa USA, and he's got an event at his club, and he's going to kill me because I don't remember the name of his club, but his club in uh, Michigan, that same weekend as the AMA's Funfly. So I think that's the 25th of July. So anyway, that's out there too for anybody in the area. Cool. 
Yeah. I'm going to go get some airplane parts. Uh, Brian, you going fishing this weekend? <laughs> I actually am. Yeah. They got my uh, wife and kids are coming home. I had to leave vacation earlier or early to go back to work. So they're coming home today and, and I'll be catching up with them. Well, so they have to put away all the empty pizza boxes and beer bottles. Yeah. And... Right. Right. I already did that. But, uh, get the timber out. Hopefully if we can. Oh yeah. Great plane. Some weather. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we're I... fans of the timber in every size. All right. Well, you take us home. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much. Have a great uh, week, weekend, whatever time of day it is you're listening to this. And uh, we'll talk to you later. Bye. Please visit our website at rcroundtable.com, where you can send us comments and suggestions or listen to our other great podcasts, where you will also find links to our iTunes and social media sites. Thanks for listening.